0: Hello, my name is Michael Greenwood. Hi, and I'm Trent Matthew. And who we are is just two normal guys, but we're also attracted to children. We are pedophiles, and we wanted to come together and make this show in order to reach out to others.
1: Yeah, so uh, we decided to make this show just sort of where we asked the question, what does it mean for someone to be a follower of Christ, but to also uh, struggle in this very delicate very problematic area of sexuality that, well, let's face it, I mean, it, it doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. And, you know, our, we, we we came together to make this um, show for other people who might struggle. And just to let you know, like our hope and prayer for you, if you struggle with this thing as well, is that you'd be encouraged by what we have to say. And that like us, you've come to know and love the person of Christ Jesus that, you know, by his death and resurrection, that Even the worst of people can be saved and brought into the presence of God.
0: And we want you to know that you're not alone, that you're not a monster just because you struggle with a sexual attraction toward children. And then later conversations, we'll talk more about where that comes from and what that is. But in the meantime, just so you could know that there's help and there's also hope. We always want to point out that Trent and I do not in any way support sexual contact with a child. We believe it is always and inherently harmful to the child. In addition, it is not what God desires for our sexuality. Yeah, so our plan is to do a series of conversations. And right now, Trent is going to share his story. And uh, folks, you're you're in for a good one.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Michael. Yeah, well, um, it's hard to know what to say to start out with. Hey, but um, I guess you could just say I was just a normal kid. You know, I grew up in a church family, dragged kicking and screaming along sort of thing to church while I was at school earlier on, I did have a bit of trouble not making friends at school. Later on, I was diagnosed with um, ADD. I was underweight. I wasn't that great at sports. I kind of didn't feel like I fitted in with the other guys. You know, I was always kind of distant. Anyway, like, so I uh, I kept on getting older. And, you know, when I was 12, I kind of had this strange, uh, well, I, it was when I started to develop a strange kind of attraction, um, you know, as as all 12-year-olds do. But, like, for me, it wasn't to, to girls. It was to my friends. I, I, I kind of felt strangely connected in this way, like when we'd be, like, at church camps and, you know, we'd be getting changed and, I, and I'd see them naked, that sort of thing. And I, I didn't know what that was, but it was just this, this, this thing that wouldn't go away. Like I felt secure in, in that sense. And I'm not sure why, but I kept on getting older. But despite that, the attraction sort of still remained the same. When I was 15, I got baptized. And when I was 17, that was the time when I really, um, and, and I came out to myself as gay. So I realized that I was you know still attracted to my friends and everything. I remember I was on a a church camp and what we would do is we would write down a confession on a piece of paper and we'd throw it in a fire. And on my um, confession paper, I wrote down, God, I just don't want to be gay. That was important for me. Like That was the first time I I sort of acknowledged that I had this attraction. At that time, I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, Yeah, but also at at that time, um, things at home really started to get shaky. Mum started to drink. And she started to remember stuff from her past and she would just fly into these rages, like yelling, screaming, you know, punching holes in the wall, that sort of thing, throwing household appliances. And just for the next three years, just everything just sucked. Like I I would go to bed and my parents would be screaming at each other and I'd wake up and my parents would be screaming at each other. Like there was very little peace. No one was taking responsibility for anything was Like the whole house was a mess, like always piles of dirty dishes. There'd be garbage that hadn't been taken out. Like, it was just one of those things where you're just like, what's the point in doing anything? You're just going to get yelled at, you know, regardless. So just lock yourself out, just lock yourself in your room. But yeah, so um, long story short, like I I finished high school, started going to uni. It was at this time I realized that my sexuality didn't really go away. Like... I guess I kind of looked back like church camps and everything that I went to when I was 12. And I remember feeling connected to my friends in that sense. And I felt secure. And I think it was kind of like, I wanted to go back in time, revisit that. So ugh, like, I hate saying this, but like, I I, I went online and I found some. People, um, and yeah, like just after that, I was just, just went straight into deep denial. I was like, no, I didn't do that. That wasn't me you know, I'm a good person, I I go to church, I believe in God, I've been baptized and all this stuff, I would just pray and just pray and just pray and be like, God, God, I really don't want to be like this, just please just take it away, take it away. I, I decided I sort of need some extra advice or some help or someone to sort of talk it out with, just someone who could just tell me what was going on so I got in touch with uh, with a Christian ministry and there was this Christian guy who headed it up this guy had lived a life in the gay scene for like ages and ages finally came out of the gay scene and he becomes a Christian right all this kind of stuff and he basically sat down and told me everything that was going on he's like okay so from your story your life is hell you know mums like this dad's like this you're having trouble um, making friends your brother's retreating um, who knows what's going on with your sister and that was when it struck me that um, what I was going through in the sexuality crisis was so much bigger than just, you know, being born that way. In that sense, you know, it was this deeply ingrained problem that was in my family structure. And, you know, I was I was reacting to everything in a weird way, and it sort of got shaped, I suppose, that way. Anyway, shortly after this, right, my dad gets in trouble for crossing boundaries with some of his old youth kids from the church right i was like this is crazy like i remember it was a meeting and i thought crap like maybe i've been busted like maybe the police have like tracked my internet history or something and then the pastor just sits me down and says hey um there's been a problem with your dad and i'm like it just started to make sense. Like all all, all of these times where dad had just been, you know, hanging out with these youth group kids. And I started to realize how like weird it was. Like there's just a lot of these really weird kind of, for for a man who's like 40 years old, you know, this is absolutely inappropriate. It it was hectic. I was like, I I was seriously thinking, you know, maybe I could steal a car and make a run for it.
0: That's like a hard time in life anyway, but when you're dealing with all this together,
1: yeah, so I mean, uh, there's just so much to deal with. And I would just sit in my car and just cry and cry and cry. I was visiting a church out there. It was one of these churches where people didn't have real problems, where everyone was just sort of happy and everyone was like, Yeah, let's praise him for all the good things he's done in in our life. And I'm just like, Oh man, how could I ever just You, know, <laughs> you didn't belong there? Like, yeah, no, <laughs> right. no. And and like I and I try and talk to people about, you know, the pain I was going through and pe- and people would say things like oh yeah yeah that's really bad oh, but that's okay because like because because god loves you and i'm like really <laughs> like, you can't <laughs> right. just say yeah how, how can i say that god loves me if he's like taking through me all this anyway um one, one night after church it got to a point where i was just like i've just had enough of everything at that time like i carried a knife around with me just because i was really paranoid about being mugged and you know i but i just said i was just praying i just said god i've just had enough I'm just going to kill myself and I'm just going to go to hell and I don't care because I was so convinced that God hated me so much and I felt so low. I felt so worthless um, as a person. I, I just like self imploded. Like, but, I, but I said to God, I said, God, but before I die, I want to take as many of these people as I can with me. And I was just thinking like I was just going to get my knife and just run up to someone and just stab them to death. Um, but at that point in time where I was just losing my mind and I was going psycho and, you know, just punching the inside of the car and everything, that was the time where God showed up. That was incredible. Like the presence of God was just in my car. I could really just feel this deep sense of peace. That's something that I hadn't felt before. I knew that God loved me. That was the real conviction that I just needed. After that, a couple of years, I started teaching. This was really difficult because in one sense, like I, I loved my job. I, I was good at my job, I was getting plenty of work, I was earning money, that sort of thing. On the outside, everything was fine. like I looked presentable and everything, but on the inside i was I was noticing that i was I was feeling torn. like I, I was just like internally confused like there was there was no way that I would ever right like I was always you know professional in in my conduct with everything. like there was absolutely no problems, no dramas whatsoever. But then it was like every six to 12 months or so, like I'd find myself going back to those pictures. And eventually it got to the point where everything just came crashing down and um, I, I couldn't run anymore, completely at the end of my line. I remember I just, I was looking at my hand, like like the claws of a monster. It was kind of like, I felt like, you know, in those movies where, where someone, you know, it's like they go through this transformation and they turn into a werewolf and they look down at their hands and their hands are becoming claws. And they're like, you know, who am I sort of thing. I was forced to, to realize that, you know, that I, that I had this kind of struggle in this area. I was in absolute shock. Like it was like the light had gone from my eye. I was just like a, this is like grief. This is like shell shock kind of thing. The, my, my first instance was I need help. I need someone to explain this to me, what I'm going through to find out there's support available. So I went straight to the hospital. And I remember, like, when when it was my turn, I was, I remember sitting, uh, asking to speak to a nurse privately, seeing her room. She's just like, okay, so what brings you in here today? Like, all nice and cheery. And I'm just like, "Uh, well, um, I like boys. And it's like, as soon as I said that, it's like, she pulled back into a snarl and she's like, what, like a pedophile? And she's like, spits out that word and it just hits me. And I'm just like, oh, it's like the worst thing in the world. I can't remember what happened i was I was so stressed out. Next thing I know is I had an interview with a psychiatrist and then I'm being sent home from from here I go straight to the pastor of my church and I tell him uh, everything that's going on and like I, I just cannot stop crying just so much crying. like I can't believe it. It's like it's all a bad dream, like some hellish nightmare that I just can't escape. everything would take hours like just doing the simple tasks like washing the dishes would take like three hours to do and I was, like, sleeping for most of the day, you know, having nightmares, grinding my teeth, feeling exhausted, you know, waking up screaming, that sort of thing. And I had to do all of this in complete secrecy. Like, I didn't feel like I could tell any of my friends. I was paranoid. This is crazy. So the, the next day, the school phones me and asks me if I can come in for a day of teaching. <laughs> and, and I basically just tell them, "Uh, I'm I'm not feeling well today, and I'm never going to come back. So <laughs> bye. <laughs> I just dropped everything, like I dropped all ministry, I dropped all all kinds of, you know, employment, just so I could just get my head together, just so I could get myself settled. Yeah, and in in the next ensuing weeks, like, uh, I I just remember just getting letter after letter after letter of, you know, saying the same things that, you know, I can't work as a teacher anymore, um, that I've been placed on a list, which is like, you know, you, you can't be employed to work with kids, that sort of thing. In one letter, they actually send me a false accusation just to just to top it off. And I just remember breaking down again, like, like, I, I seriously felt like they were just out to get me like they were just out to just, you know, shame me and put me in a situation where I kill myself or something like that. And I was just so depressed. Like, anyway, my pastor was really good. I was able to sit down with him and tell him what was going on. And he was a really good listener. After a couple of months and after a lot of letters, editing and all this stuff, not knowing how things are going to turn out, eventually they just, they said, oh yeah, sorry about that. Done some investigation and we found that that's, you know, it doesn't have any grounding to it. So that's all good. So I I went and asked for help and there was, they, they, they didn't let me into any kind of system of support. There was no kind of counseling. It was basically them saying, okay, we think you're a bad person and this is all the stuff that you're not allowed to do. That was it. That was the only thing that was there. I did try and find some therapy. None of the therapists that I saw really knew how to handle this. They didn't really know what they were doing. The first therapist I saw, it it was advertised on on the website that this guy specialized in dealing with this area. And when I went and saw him, he basically like I I was basically said like, yeah, this is me. This is my background. I struggle in my sexuality, you know, like and I go to church and I'm gay and this and I want to try and sort this out. And he's like, oh, so you're gay, are you? And I'm like, um yeah and he goes oh well so you should just go and be gay and I'm like what I I don't want that you know so and I'm like what so so just go and live a double lifestyle it's like yeah heaps of people go and live a double lifestyle and I'm like I can't do that I I left just thinking wow who can help anyway I, I saw this other therapist his advice was to get married and everything had sort itself out right and he'd asked me kind of these condescending questions. I felt like he'd asked me stuff like, so are you trying to tell me there's no girls at church that you like? And I'm just like, no. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's just insane. So a few other therapists I spoke to, I shared with them my whole story. I said, look, this is who I am. This is where my struggle is. I want to try and talk this out, to sort this out, to find out what my options are, what I can do. They basically said um, look we don't want to engage because of you know policy or whatever so yeah I-, I felt like I was just absolutely trapped and yeah it was at this time like I thought about suicide a lot because things were not getting any better. but the only thing that really kept me going was the fact that God had appeared to me before and so that was like that was basically it. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know anything. You know, sure, the Bible's great. I don't know what it means to me now. But all I know is that God wants me to live. So I'm just going to keep on living. And I, I had this plan to kill myself. But I was like, no, I'm just going to keep on living. And if God got me through one sexuality crisis, then God could get me through another one. <laughs> That's what I thought. Well, I, I started to get more stability as I would write out my story. I guess you could say that was my form of therapy. Like I would just sit in the library and just write and write and write and write. For every paragraph that I would write, I remember feeling so... I would get up and just walk outside and I would just cry and cry. I felt like a horrible person and I had been changed by a society that really doesn't care. It helped me to realise that I had done the right thing on so many levels. Shortly after that, I met up with a guy from ministry in my city, and this ministry had a focus on sexual and relational issues. This guy had come from, like, he, he had his own sexuality background thing. He was, I just remember, just, he was such a great guy. He was such a great listener. I basically told him, like, the first half of my story, and then the second half later on, and he was so loving, so accepting, and he was like, wow, that is such a, That's such a story. It's amazing how God's been able to brought you through all of this. It was like for the first time, like I was, I felt like someone sort of understood it, what I was going through and connected. After that, like started doing ministry in the area of sexuality. And then that went really well. And now here we are doing this, doing this talk show, basically.
0: Wow, Trent, thank you for sharing your story. It's uh, difficult when there can be so much uh, shame and tension wound up, but, if we're not open about it, we'll never be able to reach other. I want to ask you, when was the, when would you say was the lowest moment, and then when did it start to get better? Like when did you start to see the light again?
1: The whole process took about, or, 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 or at least maybe about three years of just I felt like I was stuck in this trough, not knowing what to do, like not knowing where my life was headed. I was basically just trying to survive. But then it was gradual. It was such a gradual change. Like I'd noticed that sometimes like I'd be reading over my journal and then I'd look back and I'd be like, oh, I can't believe I used to think that way about that situation. That sounds really bad, but I'm so glad that I don't think that way anymore sort of thing. So I did start to see change. It was really slow and really gradual. I had spent ages in prayer, wrestling with God, wrestling with doubts, atheism, like just lying on my bed and just locked up in, in like the fetal position, just yelling and stuff. Like it was, it was crazy. It was like God had to bring me right down to like level zero to the point where I was absolutely destitute of everything so that I could only just look up at God's grace and really just cling to to the cross of Christ. All my other senses of purpose had been taken away. And I just had to have God as my purpose. Like I just had to rely on God for each meal, for each breath, for each day, just praying for strength, just going through the Bible, just reading through the Psalms and stuff like that. You know, realizing that I'm just absolutely no one, like I'm nothing without God. I needed God for every little thing. Like I needed him to look after me basically, because I couldn't even look after Mm -hmm. myself. That was such a humbling process. I felt like I'd been shattered, and all the little pieces were just starting to fit together again as God started to put me back together. you know
0: you know you described the horrible home life that you experienced, and so a person's trying to cope with just whatever else life throws, but then like a, a monster you know sneaking up on you, you can't eventually can't deny that you have this attraction to kids, and that can be the thing that pulls you down or
1: the opportunity for God's grace. It was crazy. Like, I would see miracles on how God would look after me. Like, there were so many times, like, I would have $10 in bank account or something, and I'd go and buy my groceries that I needed. I'd be like, oh, this is going to be way more than $10, and I'd scan them and scan them, and then it would just turn out to add up, like, exactly to $10, or however much it was, and just pay for that. And I'd just be like, wow, thanks, God. Like, I couldn't... Like, I, it was amazing. <laughs> like. <Right>. like <laughs>
0: You realized within yourself, this was becoming something that you couldn't live with alone. You're, you're working with kids and doing a good job at that, but you went and sought help. The step that I think one in a, a thousand might, you, you went to a, the hospital saying you needed help. Would you repeat that choice?
1: Yes. In my mind, I thought to myself... Uh, I was basically expecting to get locked up and have them throw away the key, but I thought I would rather live out my life under whatever kind of restraints than hurt a child.
0: At the same time, though, there was other people who did help. Uh, You mentioned the fellow from the ministry and also your pastor. You couldn't have made it alone, right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I certainly don't think I could have it was great how my pastor was able to really just sit down with me. I was able to go around to his place whenever I felt like I needed to. It was great to have someone to talk to and just to sort of say, look, this is why I'm just, what's happened, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think in in a lot of ways, it was a journey for him as well, because here I am with this massive problem and it affects his church. And, you know, how how am I going to be able to go back to church? Is it going to, are other families going to, be okay with me being there. Like, what what's confidential? What's not? What gets leaked? What doesn't? So I think it was a real hurdle for him, but I think he did a pretty good job of tackling it. God certainly works through him as well. As well as the other guy who was from that ministry, like he was just able to just listen and just be so understanding, hear what I had to say, and it was great because uh, like he gave me his number and I could just call this guy and just talk about what what I was going through, and yeah, it was knowing that. Other people were there for me, which made so much difference.
0: If you could tell the person who's going through that dark moment,
1: what would you tell them? I would tell them only God can get them through. i tell them to keep going, to keep trusting, but ultimately everything comes down to God. He is my anchor. He is my shield. Everything that I trust in. I just want to say, you know, I love you. I encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus, to really just cling on to that cross because Christ dies for people like us. Christ died for the tax collectors who were seen as like subhuman. You know, Jesus loves the, the prostitutes who were seen as subhuman at that time. You know, it's all the sinners, all the people who don't believe that they have any part with God. These are the people who Christ calls to himself. I just encourage you to just trust in God and really have faith that he will, he will take you through.
0: Well, thank you, Trent, for sharing your story. We're going to be doing these conversations on a regular basis. I'll be sharing my story next, and our hope is to reach out to anybody else who's been in that position that we have where you feel like you're in the dark alone. If you're listening to this and you'd like support, we'd refer you to our website, which is christianpedophile.com. You'll find an email address, support at christianpedophile.com, where you can email Also, we do recommend uh, Virtuous Pedophiles. That's an online community of folks who are minor-attracted men and women who are committed to never harming a child. Until next time, God bless. Bye.